0: Welcome into to another episode of the Otts and Audibles podcast. Eric Scopel, Jared Mack, signing on from Salt Lake City uh, in our hotel room as we've made the like march of shame, 20 minutes almost, to our car uh, and had to talk about this. So I think we've sort of talked this podcast out pretty good and hopefully it turns out all right. Uh, Matt Preem will not be on the show. He's back in Eugene. It's going to be the two-man show tonight. Oregon, 38-7 losers. The worst loss of the Mario Cristobal era for a variety of reasons. First, because of the margin. Mm-hmm. Second, because there was a lot on the line and they just didn't show up. No,
1: it just didn't feel like they got off the bus. Yeah,
0: this was a embarrassing showing. I mean, I don't think there's anything other way to say it. Mario, I don't know if he's used the word embarrassing. How about impressively bad? Impressively bad. <laughs> I, mean, I was impressed by how non-competitive this game was. Like, I think going into it, we all picked Oregon. We all felt pretty good about the pick. I think we all were open to the fact that maybe Utah would win. I don't think that was on our radar at all that they were going to lose by 31 points and no. be a game where it wasn't even – like by the time the first half ended and we, we'll get to what took place right around there, this game was over. I don't think anybody had any expectation at halftime when they're down 28 nothing that they were going to come back and win, and they didn't. They didn't. I mean, they didn't really show a response. That was one of the things that Mario Cristobal said during his press conference was that this team has been really good at having responses this year when they make mistakes and they fall behind. There wasn't one tonight. They didn't have a response. The offense didn't have a response. The defense got worse. Um, Defense played okay early in the game on like the first couple of drives and then completely fell apart. Utah found the answers. Offensively, Oregon just was basically stuck in the mud. I mean, it just never, nothing ever amounted. We'll get to a lot of the data and stats there. Um, I wanted to start, I think, though, just with the way that first half goes offensively and the missed opportunities because Oregon has – Three drives that get near the red zone, and they come away with zilch. Nada, nothing. They don't get on the scoreboard. And there's a, in my mind, there's a possibility that even if they're kicking field goals and they're making field goals, they tried to. They didn't make either of them. One was blocked. We'll get to that in a second. But, like, in my mind, there's a scenario where it's 21-9 at the half, and you go into the second half. Oregon kicks, you know, scores a touchdown on its first drive, and it's 21-16, and it's a ball game. No, the offense could not finish drives. A lot of it was self-inflicted. Let's just jump into it. Um, Oregon punts on its first drive, not impressive, three and out. Its next drive after Utah takes a 7-0 lead with the first of, I believe, three Tavian Thomas touchdowns. That guy's electric. Really
1: good game from him. Yeah, he's
0: a good player. He's set the school record for touchdowns for Utah today. Um, I believe the f- 17, I believe the first time in school history he's, that a Utah running back has had th- three or more games with three touchdowns or more. Pretty good. Um, he's very good. Um, I think all three of those have come in his last three games he's played, like four touchdown, four touchdown against uh, the last two opponents and then three here. I, we don't have to talk about him anymore. It's, a, da- it's a
1: dangerous
0: team. It's a dangerous team. It's a good Utah team. Oregon might face them in a little bit. We'll get to that at the end of the show because it's no guarantee right. that that happens. But I wanted to start here with the end of the first quarter here where – Oregon does have a nice drive. They are able to move the ball down into the red zone, down all the way to the Utah 18-yard line. Yep. They set up a field after a penalty. After a penalty, yeah. And this is which, yeah. And and, and the big part here, and this is thanks for reminding me, Jared, is that it's not only that they made these drives and got close and could have come away with points, but didn't. It's that these are almost all self-inflicted. And I don't want to take away from Utah because they played a good defensive game to force them in these spots. Right. Oregon got in its own way over and over again. Yeah, and the, the first mistake was the the Chris Hudson end around, and that's the first time all season I think we've seen them run that play, and I hope it's the last because it just yeah, did, it was done from I mean, rival
1: Obviously, it was a great play from Utah's defense being able to sniff that out and find Hudson because if if it was basically a one on one in Utah, Utah's player made the play, right? And they hit Hudson behind the line for a minus nine, and that takes Oregon from the fifteen to the to the twenty one. Um, excuse me, sorry, to the 30 yes. and that, to 21 to the 30, 21 to the 30. And that kills that drive. Next is an Anthony Brown incomplete pass to f- Troy Franklin. And then a Travis Dye 12 yard rush. Then Camden Lewis's field goal g- attempt gets blocked. Yep. Yeah. That's just, I, I think that was the only one that wasn't self-inflicted. I, th- I think it was a, it was an interesting play call. Probably wasn't exactly what you wanted to do, but Oregon yeah. had to try something. You don't like the you, result, but the play right. call,
0: again, they haven't, no one's seen if that it, on tape, it, so right, I maybe mean, exactly. it works.
1: If it works, nobody gives it a damn because they probably you know they, they get a first down. They get a touchdown, whatever the case may be. Everybody's like, oh, they should have ran that more. But since it doesn't work, everybody resents the play call. Yes, That was the only one that was not a self-inflicted wound to, to their foot. They've been shooting themselves in the feet for a lot of weeks this year. And they had actually gone through a period of time where they hadn't really done that, especially in the red zone. And then it comes back just on the, on the very next drive.
0: It feels like to me, what Oregon met here was finally an opponent who could take advantage of these mistakes. One hundred percent. Utah's a good football team. This is the best football team Oregon has played all year besides Ohio state. And I think anybody listening to this podcast is nodding in agreement. This is a good Utah team. Don't take anything away from it. Mark Cristobal was complimentary all week for a reason. It was very complimentary in the post game. Um, But, yeah, no, this was a game where Oregon makes a bunch of mistakes, doesn't maximize its opportunities, and they face an opponent that doesn't lay down. They face an opponent that steps on their throat over and over again and puts this one away by halftime. The next drive Oregon has after um, after stopping the Utes and forcing a punt, Mm -hmm. they get it all the way down to the 35 of Utah. I know that's not on the doorstep, but it's close. And then Anthony Brown, they're they're moving, they're moving it. They move it. They move it all the way down the field. And and they had a pretty successful drive. A couple nice passes down the field. Some nice running from Byron Cardwell sets it up. And then Anthony Brown stumbles trying to get out of the pocket. And it's a 12 yard loss. It's a sack. The idea of taking another field goal off the board, they have to punt it. Well, and the play immediately before that is the incomplete
1: pass to Hudson, where it goes over his head on the sideline. And that could have been a big play. And watching it live from our vantage point in the, in the press box, um, Oregon had really good blocking along the perimeter. It was a very well executed play, which hadn't been happening that often during the game. And Devin Williams was a lead blocker to Chris Hudson, and he had room to run. And I think it, no matter what, it would have been a gain of at least fifteen yards, yeah, if not first a- down for sure. First down for sure. And Brown just overthrows it. He throws it right over Hudson's head, which was a common occurrence in that game with mm-hmm. Brown missing high to Hudson.
0: The chemistry there is off. And we'll have to talk about why some of that is from a receiver perspective. Because there's just yes. so many guys missing. But, yeah, he missed Hudson quite a few times. And the trip and fall, it's unfortunate. Yeah.
1: We, but we've seen that multiple times this year with Anthony Brown. And I'm not trying to, you know, belittle Anthony Brown for falling. Because, Lord knows, we all have fallen
0: and, at, at points. <laughs> yes, and True. but And it was probably, like, the 50th worst play he made. Because he did not have a very good football game. And this was just no, know, it just, bad ones. No, this just hurt because... Again, Oregon at the
1: 35-yard line wasn't necessarily knocking at the door like Eric was saying, but they were there. It was a third and eight. It was reasonable. Yeah, at yes. that point, Oregon was doing decently on offense, um, and they needed an answer for uh, Utah, who was up 14 to nothing at the time.
0: They were actually up uh, 7 to nothing, and were about to go up 14 to nothing on their next drive. Mm. Apologies. No, you're fine. Uh, Cameron Rising punches it in. Oregon, though, I think has its best drive of the day, maybe, besides the first half or sorry, by both sides, the second half first drive, they moved the ball all the way down to the Utah 14-yard line. And to me, this was the one where, boy, it this started to slip away. Because yeah. it's a George Moore 10-yard penalty on first down. It's first and 10 from the 14. Um, it follows one of Anthony Brown's best throws of the season, a 50-yard on-the-money throw to Chris Hudson. Yeah, a line, yeah, line drive Good throw, to Hudson over the shoulder. Yeah, Great could, throw. Great throw. Uh, could have gone for a touchdown. It didn't, and it cost him because the very, you know, not the next play, two plays later. Is a holding penalty on George Moore, and they My never first down, and they never recover. Yeah, no first down, and they never recover. They don't even. They gain one more yard on a short pass to Troy Franklin, which kind of looked like a botched blocking. I don't know. Like he did, nobody. He was such a screen pass, but he had nobody blocking in front of him, and he caught the ball and it was over basically. And then the next play was a Devin Williams almost like a wheel route
1: or just a fade down the sideline to the end zone, and Brown had no chance. Throws it into the defender's back. Yes, he doesn't put the ball up there for Williams to try and make an attempt. And, then, and that's a third down to 19 play. So it's not that Oregon just tried to you know, get some yards with like a Travis Dye run or a Carville run, something like that. They went for it all because I like probably how we felt in the press box. I think Moorhead, offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead, probably didn't feel good about this team's chances at that point to, to try and get a touchdown, especially on third and 19.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the blocked field goal. Other than missed field goal. Missed field goal. Sorry, first I missed
0: field. all over the place. All, no, you're fine. It's just that there's, there's so many F-ups in this game. Um, and this one was the one, I mean, they all were, this all, all of this stuff sucked. I mean, like, just objectively, it was a brutal sequence here. But Camden Lewis, who has been really good all year as a kicker. It's a great story. 10 for 10 coming in. The only perfect kicker in Pac-12 play. Misses one. Bad. The first one was blocked.
1: Not, happens. His, not his fault. Right?
0: Nope. There was really good pressure. Oregon, I think, missed a block. Second one was just awful. And it was really bad. And at that point, I was kind of like, okay, the wheels are starting to fall off. And then they actually, like, fell off the field. They
1: genuinely fell off. Because
0: Utah comes down and scores right away. Probably their easiest scoring drive of the day. 50-yard pass to Brant Keithy sets up. They yep. score a couple plays later. Antavian uh, Thomas' second rushing touchdown. And then here's the sequence that, to me, sealed Oregon's fate. And it was part coaching yep it was part special teams error it was part mistakes just from the offense executing but Oregon has the ball first and 10 from the 25 with 27 seconds left they have one timeout Utah has three and you can argue you want to be aggressive but what have we seen from this offense today that led us to believe that this was going to be successful And the worst case scenario plays out because they throw it, they throw it, then they run it. Utah uses a timeout, forces Oregon to punt it with 11 seconds left in the half. And Britton Covey does what he does best. And he takes it to the house. And at that point, everyone in the press box, whether you were there to support Utah or writing for Utah, or if you're writing about Oregon knows the outcome, it's over. It's over at that point. That was the death knell for Oregon. And it happened right before half. And it happened on a huge momentum play. Um, Tip the cap to Utah for executing it on special teams. Questionable in my mind why you even punted it to them. Why not punt it out of bounds and force them to try to go 70 yards with two timeouts with eight to ten seconds to play, right? 11. Absolutely. Don't get it. Thought that was pretty poorly mismanaged all the way. And this is not the first time this season we've seen kind of questionable clock management at the end of a half for Mario Cristobal. The end of the halves have been interesting
1: all year because there's been moments where Oregon is in a position to get ahead, end the game themselves. Or solidify their lead with, I don't know, 45 seconds left, whatever the case may yeah. be, and not take the shots, not take the chances to get a first down, and just, you know, run the clock out basically. And then tonight, where if I were an Oregon player, all I would want to do is get into the locker room, mm-hmm. down 21 to nothing, um, Oregon tries to let Anthony Brown cook. They try to let him get hot before he goes in the half, and
0: but the stove, the stove's not even turned on for Anthony. There, there ain't no gas. <laughs> There's no gas. There's
1: no gas, and it. I, I vividly remember talking to you in the press box. Yes, and you saying, "This could be bad because <laughs> yeah. Utah, yeah, had, I had some time left. They had timeouts. They had three timeouts, mm-hmm. and I didn't anticipate a kick uh, a pun return, but." When it was happening, it just, that was the dagger. It, it was like, yeah, this is not Oregon's night at all. This, it, is,
0: this is it. It felt strangely poetic that the really mismanaged clock there comes back and really bites you and puts the game out of reach. Um, I don't even know how much in the second half we want to talk about. It's pretty boring overall. I think they were what, 10 points scored by Utah, 7 for Oregon. Yeah. Um, the fourth quarter was just a lot of both teams, well, Oregon trying to score and failing over and over again and, and Utah. Oregon only had three drives in the second half, by the way. They scored on their first. Yeah, and then, Utah did an excellent job. Yeah, and of then just they milked the clock. Milking the clock. Because and here's this transitions, I think, perfectly to the next thing we want to yes. talk about, which is Oregon could not get a stop on third down. Simply couldn't. All night. No. And this is the most infuriating part of this defense is because I think if you looked at this game and you were to look at how they played on first and second down, they were pretty good. They were pretty good on first yes, and second down. Were, I, Utah did not have a lot of big first down runs throughout this. No, game. no, no, no. And it may sound like a
1: hyperbole to say that Oregon could not get off the field at all tonight. It's, it's really, really close. <laughs> to being 100%. It's Utah was 11 for 14 yeah. on third downs. Yep. And it really started on Utah's first scoring drive. Mm-hmm. They had third and eight and a third and nine. And Cameron Rising uh, scrambled and, and got first downs both those times, back to back. Yep. And that... Is just so demoralizing to a defense. They just could not get off the field. Utah had the Utah had the ball for thirty-five minutes tonight. Oregon had the ball for just over twenty-four. Utah only ran ten more plays than Oregon, and that obviously is indicative of the second half where Utah did their best job of playing keep away with you know thirty minutes of game time on the clock. Mm-hmm. And but they did just that, and Oregon could not get off the field. And that has been an issue at points this season. It has gotten better in the last few weeks, just as Oregon had, has gotten better. It which is, should it not seemed be, like something
0: that was improving.
1: Right, which should not be a surprise that when Oregon is able to solidify their third down defense and they get better as a football team. Because, like Eric was just saying, on the first and second down, it wasn't like Utah was getting seven or eight yards on their first down rushes if they did run the ball on first down. They held Utah to, like, four yards a carry tonight. I,
0: I remember distinctly hearing a Utah staffer say, oh, man, it's like running into a brick wall, talking about Oregon's rush defense on first and second down. because and, and, and that wasn't an inaccurate statement. I mean, that's no, what it was. No, so Utah couldn't run the ball on first and second down for most of that first half. And then the second half, everything changes. And I think... What Utah did in the second half is what Oregon has done a lot this season in second halves where Mm -hmm. they demoralize and they dominate opponents and they don't let you get off the field and they just run the ball down the field. And Utah ran 50 run plays and Oregon ran 23. And we talked all week about how this was a battle in the trenches game. And Utah was a more successful team in the trenches. They doubled up Oregon on the rush attempts. They tripled in terms of yardage gained. Oregon only ran for 63 yards. Um, About 20 of those were lost yards on anthony brown sacks again if you listen to this podcast or my work you know how much i hate the fact that you include quarterback sacks to rushing stats but it's 63 is what it says here it's closer to like 85 either way it's the worst of the season and it's not good enough to win a football game the fact that travis Dye has six carries all game and total of eight touches for 14 sorry uh, 34 yards that's you're just not going to win a game with a player of his caliber being that uninvolved in the offense um Oregon couldn't run the ball. They did not do a very good job of of running it. They didn't let themselves establish it. Um, I mean, their their two running backs, Byron Cardwell and Travis Diet, had 13 combined carries and averaged about five yards per carry. That's all fine. It's just they didn't have enough of an opportunity. They never got going. And the result here is one where you end up relying on Anthony Brown, who throws it 35 times, completes less than half, has some success downfield, but for the most part doesn't. And it's a game where, I mean, frankly... The offense just didn't play even a D-level game. I and mean, this is about as poorly as this offense has played all season. I know it's against a good Utah defense. I don't want to take anything away. Maybe we were a little dismissive of this run defense by Utah. Or maybe it was just a game where Oregon's defense was so bad about getting off the field that Utah was able to Oregon, Oregon and dominate the clock. And that's what we saw here. And Oregon's run game never got going. And I think you come away thinking... I had said after the Washington State game I thought Oregon's rush offense was successful and its offensive line was successful independent of the opposition. This game kind of proved it was that maybe I was maybe I was wrong. I was wrong.
1: I'm going to zag on this. Okay? Cuz I think that Oregon's offensive line when running was good. But the reason why they never got their running game established was that they just they they were already down mm-hmm. and they needed Anthony Brown to do something to move the ball down the field. Because they didn't have enough time anymore. And by the time it got to the second half, they really needed to move the ball down the field. And they weren't going to rush for 30, 40 times this game. But still, like Travis Dye and Byron Carpool, I thought, ran pretty well at points. Yeah, they were fine. And I, I, But I was really surprised that Oregon didn't run them all the time in the first half. I had felt like they had kind of found an identity where it's like, yeah, we're going to run the ball 50, 55 times a night. Anthony Brown will probably throw 20 to 24 times a night, and that's going to be it. But today was the complete opposite. It was they wanted Anthony Brown to be that kind of quarterback and not be a game manager. They the wanted quarterback
0: him. he's not capable of being, honestly.
1: They have tried before, and it's worked twice. It worked against Ohio State, and it worked against UCLA. Similar enough, both road games. Also worked against Colorado pretty well. Yeah, but they're off. a different to, game. Yeah, different game. This was not Anthony
0: Brown's night. I think another thing with Anthony, no success running the football all night. The first drive they have moving down the field, two first downs he picks Mm -hmm. up on design quarterback runs. The rest of the way they got away from it. And I do think there was a sack he took in the first half where it looked like his knee got rolled up, his left knee. Um, We talked to him after the game. He didn't want to make excuses. He acknowledged he was hurting, both probably emotionally, but also physically. I think you're looking at a quarterback who kind of lost some of his ability to run the balls effectively because of that injury, yep. and that's part and that limited Oregon a little bit. Obviously, that's not why they lost this game. They lost this game for 40 other reasons, but um, notable that he was dinged up. Um, I think another thing we have to acknowledge is this receiving core goes from being really deep to being so thin in the matter of seven days. Against Washington State, they had yeah. their full complement of guys. Michael Pittman transfers, and then today we learn after the game that both Johnny Johnson III and Jalen Red, the two senior leaders in the receiving group, lose both those guys for the season in one game. I don't even know when the Red injury happened. I, obviously, we know when Johnny Johnson got hurt. I'd have to assume Red's injury came during practice. It has to have. It didn't seem like it took place during the game. There was no indication no. of it. Which is would be the second
1: time that the season that Oregon has lost a player for the season and during practice. Yes, Bennett
0: Williams being the other, the first. Yeah. Yes, um, that hurts, man. And I think we saw. Devin Williams and Chris Hudson both stick, uh, you know, they both had good games. So, you know, I and mean, obviously they had a lot more balls thrown their way. But, I mean, Hudson, 96 yards receiving, I think is the most by a receiver in Oregon's team this entire season. That happened on four catches. I liked I liked what I saw from Chris had Hudson. A game. I, had a good game. had a good game. 100%. I think he's pretty good. Yeah. Um.
1: But Devin, like we were saying earlier, there's a little bit of a chemistry issue between he and Brown.
0: I think Brown's used to throwing to taller guys who can go up and get the ball, and he just doesn't have his – that's not Chris Hudson. And a couple of those throws down the seam – we're just like okay if he was six foot three and could jump or six two like Johnny Johnson <laughs> yeah that's all or Micah, even Micah Pittman those are probably completions and he throws it too high right I mean right it, and he just it's can't... a good throw but it's just not meant for Chris Hudson Dante Thornton gets the start two catches sixteen yards dropped the ball i do not I mean it is what it is he's a true freshman I'm surprised he got the start over Troy Franklin but honestly like I'd kind of like, we talked this week we had we had a tip about the well, red thing Devin plays X
1: right and Troy Franco plays X right Dante Thornton is the backup Z for Johnny
0: Johnson sure I, I I and I know obviously those positions are different I had thought just based upon who'd played more in the past like Dante sure. Thornton legitimately had not been playing meaningful snaps all season until today. no
1: like not at all
0: like at all and they now got decimated at yeah. that position and now they're down to him who was like their third or fourth string guy for most third string for most of the season at that position. And you saw what the result was, and I'm not even—I don't want to even be overly critical of him because I didn't think he was terrible. I mean, he dropped one; he probably could have had. I think Troy Franklin dropped one; he probably could have had. I mean, got hit like Mack truck though on that one, as you recall. Oh that was yeah, like, Devin Williams almost catches on the end ball. zone, but yeah, it was a hospital ball, as you said. But this receiving core is now really, really dinged up. Um, there were a lot of instances though where
1: Dante Thornton or and Devin Williams and Troy Franklin were visibly frustrated with anthony brown's passes Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. if you were watching from home you know i heard from a couple people that you know they the, the cameras perfectly caught it with with williams and franklin specifically uh it was visibly on the like from from the press box too it was visible like we could see it and that is never a good sign i don't know this 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 is not a great, great thing for Oregon right now to to be without those two guys and mm-hmm. or three guys specifically in Pittman, Johnson, and Red, but also have more issues with the quarterback room. And we'll see how healthy Anthony Brown is because it didn't look like a great injury, like a great. Um, Would you resupp- be surprised
0: if it comes out after the season he has like some sort of ligament? sprain or something like that like he's dealing with something kind of significant. It was a
1: super awkward landing for Brown. It was. If you missed it, he got rolled up on and his left leg went under his body and then kind of bent backwards. He remained in the game the rest of the way. Mm. Looked fine throwing the ball and had, you know, good good zip on his passes, yeah. but finds, clearly fine's
0: a little subjective because he was off on a lot too.
1: Yeah, but like just from a throwing perspective, I don't think that hindered it. But from a running perspective, absolutely. Completely non-existent. He couldn't couldn't run in the second half.
0: Um, one other injury we should touch on before we kind of go into some big picture stuff, unless we had some. I don't know if we had how much else we had left on the notes. I, I wanted to acknowledge that injuries bite again. We talked about the receivers. I think this other injury may be just as significant, and that's for McKinley the third. And we don't have clarity from Mario Cristobal after the game on that. He said they're still trying to. They need to talk with the doctors and get an idea here, but he goes down in the third quarter, I believe, on Utah's first scoring drive and uh second quarter was it the second yeah it was
1: there. uh it was the drive where keith he had two receptions for okay like were right. okay, had, yards. Yeah. yeah he
0: had yeah he had a 28 or and a 21 yard or 50 something yards. Like that. 50 yards regardless this is really significant this is i would argue one of your three most important players on your defense it is pre-snap the most important player on your defense this is the guy who calls the defense out there they call him yep. the general for a reason he's a leader on this team And not only is he really valuable and his contributions kind of irreplaceable, but the guys that they have to file in there are Damon David, a true freshman who barely played. And then they moved Triquas Bridges, a corner, who's also been working at nickel a little bit, but back to safety. And I think he finished the game there. I don't think he was terrible. I'll be curious to see who plays there next week if Verone's unable to play. Um, Again, we don't have full clarity on that. But... That's one to definitely monitor This is not right. like I mean Losing Steve Stevens was, That was tough Right um, This is A much more significant loss To a secondary Which is already now Down Steve Stevens And Bennett Williams If you lose thrown McKinley You could argue Those are three of your best Four defensive backs And that really hurts A secondary which Has some depth But not enough Where you can make up For those kind of losses um, Okay was there anything from the game breakdown you wanted to get to, uh, aside from that? I'm trying to think if there was more from our notes. Uh, from our notes, no. Okay. That was
1: it. I, I don't have anything personally I'd like to get down to either.
0: I want to talk now about how this could spiral. If I don't want to, I don't want to be too negative here, but this could spiral because um, I don't know the score of the Oregon State-Arizona State game. Maybe. Would you like to know? I'd love to know.
1: It is to 17-3 Oregon State with 14-20 left in the fourth quarter. Okay.
0: If Oregon State wins that game... Oregon does not win the division for sure. They have to beat Oregon State to do it. If Oregon State loses the game, Oregon backs into a division championship. You
1: know? Do you think so? If, or if, if so, question real quick. If Oregon State loses today, Oregon wins the division, the Pac-12 North. That's true. That'd be kind of funny.
0: It would be kind of funny. <laughs> just
1: like you just got ass whooped on national yes. television, but hey, division champs, Pac-12 North division champs for the. Third year in a row. Fourth year in a row. Well, no. No, Excuse me. 2020. Don't the folks in Seattle are (laughs)
0: throwing their laptops on the floor right now? They are so. Well, I didn't lose. The Oregon
1: didn't lose to Colorado today.
0: So (laughs) this is true. They lost to Utah by 31. (gasps) 17-10. Seventeen to ten. Ooh, okay. Well, well, this maybe right. gets right, more yeah. interest. But no, um, <laughs> of course, podcasts, super fun when people talk about games that are already over. <laughs> By the time you listen during the podcast, like live results, not very valuable on a on a podcast recording because Apologies. everybody listening to no, it's just it's funny. <laughs> everybody listening to this already knows what the outcome of that game is, even though we don't right now. Um, but what I'm getting at is if Oregon mm-hmm. loses to Oregon State on Saturday, and again that's worst case scenario. The way Oregon played today, they're susceptible, right? And the injuries are mm-hmm. starting to mm-hmm. mount. They're susceptible they lose that game, suddenly this could get really ugly. It goes from being... We haven't even really mentioned this. I guess it's just so inherent. College football playoffs, completely out the window. Gone. Maybe that was the very first thing we should have said. I think everybody listening knows that fact. Oregon will not be in the top four on Tuesday when they release the new rankings. My guess is they're 10 to 11, somewhere in that range. They're going to drop a a decent amount. There's a lot of teams with one loss that were sitting kind of between four and nine. There's a lot of one-loss teams there. Cincinnati doesn't have a loss, obviously. Oregon will drop, but... If they lose to Oregon State, they don't even win the division. Oregon State probably wins the division. There's also a pos- backdoor possibility, apparently, if Washington State beats Washington, that Washington State would win the three-team tiebreaker over Oregon State, and Washington State would somehow go. I was hearing this in the press conference um, from Rob Mosley and James Crepia talking it out. So this could get kind of wild. Regardless, if Oregon doesn't play in the in the conference championship in Las Vegas in a couple of weeks, which was something that was—, against Utah, was they It, it the which South would be against time. Utah, who did win the, yeah, they won the division tonight. Oregon could fall not only out of college football playoff contention, which they're already out of, not only from the Rose Bowl because you can't play in that unless you play in that conference championship game, all the way down to the Las Vegas Bowl. I'd say they, they could skip the Alamo Bowl. It goes
1: I mean, Rose, then Alamo.
0: But if they if they don't go to the conference championship, and, no, and I know they're the there I'm,
1: then. They're Vegas Bull. They
0: might be Vegas Bull. And I think the I, I do know the Bulls have their choice, and there's probably a pretty decent odds. The, the Alamo Bull would choose a Oregon as a, right. T, you know, a, I guess only a nine-win team over an Oregon State team, which would, in theory, only have won eight games if they beat Oregon next week and lose to Utah, which is, I think, how we see it playing out. But just be aware of, like, I think you're an Oregon fan, and and it's been playoffs, 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 and that's the right way for it to be because when you're third-ranked nationally, you should be focused on that because that's the ultimate prize every season. That's out the window now. It's not even a lock that they go to the Rose Bowl, and it's not even a lock that they're one of the top two teams in the conference, and that's a crazy thing to say considering how this season has played out. Um, Parting thoughts here, Jared. Let's talk about uh, just a little about where we think this team is now, going into this Oregon State rivalry week? Are we confident that they're going to take care of business? Do we think this team is going to have a response? Like I said earlier, one of the things Mark Cristobal said that I thought was notable was that this team all year, when they've had their backs against the wall, have had that response, and today they didn't. Are we expecting next week at Autzen Stadium, we know that kickoff is now at 12.30 p.m. on ESPN, are we expecting a better showing? Yes. 100% 100% yes. Um, it was.
1: This was very strange of a game from Oregon mm-hmm. uh, that they just didn't show up to play. I think that'll be the last time that happens this year. Um, clearly Utah was the team that showed up to play, and Oregon just didn't even come close to the competition level. Um, Utah is a significantly better th- than Oregon State, even though Oregon State did. Did, did beat Utah this year. I, I understand, I understand. Worth noting. Definitely worth noting. However, Utah is a significantly better team than Oregon State is. I agree. Um, you, we, we've talked about this like in, in private the last couple of weeks about how if Utah had picked Cameron Rising at the start of the season, where mm-hmm. would they be? Because you look at how they played Oregon today, and obviously Oregon did not play well, and they're out of a few guys. But they manhandled Oregon. Yeah. It wasn't very close. No. If you had if you gave Oregon a healthy Johnny Johnson and Jalen Redd and Micah Pittman, I think it'd be closer. But I but the way Utah played tonight, yeah. They there wasn't even a possibility that Oregon right. was going to win. So I do have confidence going into next week against Oregon State. That's a game. Oregon will get up for it. It's obviously a game. Oregon State will get up for it. You'll get Oregon State's a game as well.
0: Yep. Oregon State just beat Oregon last year, so there's definitely motivation from the rivalry perspective too. Absolutely. Had to hear about that all off season. So, just to answer the question, yeah, I right. would feel confident in it. One last question, because why not? Um, why not? I'm in. What the hell? Um, assuming Oregon beats Oregon State, and your hunch that Oregon will play better that next week, which I agree with. Sure. Do we think Oregon can beat Utah? in Las Vegas in Ooh, two weeks? Good question. What's our confidence level? We just saw them get run off the field by this team. Absolutely Do, destroyed. Is there a chance in your mind that this thing flips and Oregon plays better and actually wins? Or are you kind of reserved and resigned to the fact after watching what we just saw that that's going to be almost too tall of a task for them to come back and beat them down there in two weeks?
1: This is a good question because... Right now, you know, just a few hours after the game, <laughs> it feels like I could no way Utah go out there and play Ohio State well. Um, I'll have to sit on it, because I think that Oregon is going to be a lot different in two weeks, whether that is in a good or a bad way. Because clearly they're going to be out without Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red and Mike Pittman's no longer with the team, and we don't know about Veron McKinley. So this could be a whole, completely different Oregon team in a couple weeks, and maybe, maybe Utah's a completely different team too. I don't know, but as of today, I'm I'm going to avoid the answer to the question and say I need more time to think about it. What Ask it- me in a few days. Um, Yeah, that's that's where we're going to go with. a tremendous
0: way to end a podcast with a non-answer. What about you? Okay, give me an answer. I I think there's nothing I saw today that really leads me to believe that they can completely reverse course here and that they can beat Utah. Um, I'm sure I will convince myself otherwise, like you're saying, over the next week if Oregon plays well against Oregon State. I'll have newfound confidence again. It's going to be hard for me, though, if I'm being honest, if, assuming this is the matchup with Oregon, Utah and again. There's a huge obstacle with Oregon State in front that they have to deal with. It's going to be hard for me though to pick Oregon to win that game when two weeks removed they got beaten. No, like, yeah. This, yeah. like this, like this, and that was the thing I was talking with James Crepia and, and you after the game of. It's one thing on a national stage to lose a close game to a good team, and how that is kind of represented nationally. What that mm-hmm. perception is to lose like this is embarrassing. And has lasting ramifications in terms of how Oregon is seen this season and unfairly probably or not next season. Like, you'd lose a game like this, and I know the off season will play out the way it will, Oregon will have some guys come back, have guys go pro, lose KT, the probably the perception will be they will have better quarterback play next year than this year, probably right. be true. Right. And Oregon will I would imagine be another top ten team to start the twenty twenty two season. But a loss like this hurts. And it hurts the perception, and it's already a situation where you kind of felt it going into the week that Oregon was third-ranked nationally and was an underdog on the road here. And they did nothing, by the way, on Saturday to prove that that was the wrong assessment by the, by the Las Vegas, by the national media, etc. This game doesn't help anything. I mean, this game really hurts to be on that. You made this point before we started recording, um, and I'll let you kind of reiterate it, but yeah. Oregon has wanted to be in these kind of games where they are playing on national TV at the 5 o'clock hour in the East Coast, and this was not the way to handle it. No, and this is the
1: second time this season that Oregon has been, or excuse me, the third, fourth time this season that Oregon has been like on the national spotlight for the East Coast. Ohio State, UCLA, Stanford, and now Utah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and they're two and two and including me a lot of people have been clamoring like why is oregon the best team in the pac-12 subjected to the seven thirty p.m pacific standard time start which is 10 30 on the east coast where admittedly as a former east coaster and someone who did actually stay up for oregon games but by halftime it's like all right i'm going to bed or like i'm just not watching this i'm done i'm out i'm something like that and here here Oregon is. Starts at five thirty mountain time at seven thirty East Coast and they get destroyed. Yep. It's um this was about as bad as possible as it is for Oregon. Also a little bit for the Pac twelve as yeah, well, because it's like help. this is your cream of the crop team, this is it, this is your playoff caliber team. And they get crunched, absolutely destroyed by number twenty three Utah. And what did Ohio State do? This, earlier today, against Michigan State, in national television, like, two games before on ABC, the same exact network, they destroyed Michigan State.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so this is, um, this is now a bigger problem than just Oregon. It's a conference problem. And when that will ever be resolved, who Who as heck knows? But, yeah, I was making the point to Eric earlier in a much more dramatic tone than the one I am now. But this is this is a problem that everybody from the Pac twelve wants to be recognized and be put on a national spotlight and have the attention towards torn turned towards them and it never works. They get killed.
0: Yeah. Well on that note positive positive there's no, way to end. there's no way Hayden Herrera with a great Hayden positive right. Shout out Hayden Herrera. Great sweatshirt we saw him wearing last night. Uh, I guess maybe that's a better way to end it, but we'll end it there because there's not really a there's no positive way to spin this game period. Like it was just embarrassing. They did not play well. Um, no facet of the game was good. Offense, defense, special teams all are going to get low grades when I, my grades go out Sunday morning or afternoon, um, depending upon when those go up, but tough one. It's yep. a tough one. Oregon did not play well enough to win. They lose in embarrassing fashion, and they drop to 9-2 and two on the season, 6-2 and two in Pac-12 play. They don't aren't necessarily set up to play in the conference championship. They do control their own destiny, which is a good thing. But now they have to go beat the Beavers in a rivalry game that suddenly has a lot more on the line than we thought it did about 24 hours ago. Mm-hmm. So, for Jared Mack, this is Eric Scopel. Thanking you for listening to a rather humbling Otson Audibles post game podcast as Oregon loses to the Utes 38 7. We will talk to you folks later. Peace.